0: I want this morning to speak from a portion of the first chapter of Philippians with the sermon title of Christ in Life and Death. I'll just read again the verses that I want to concentrate on this morning Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12. But I would ye should understand, brethren. That the things which have happened, which happened unto me, have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife. And some also of good will. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds. But the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defence of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain the uh, imminent prospect of death when someone knows they're going to die whether it be by execution maybe or an illness or maybe they go into battle knowing that the chances of them surviving are slim it focuses the mind doesn't it it uh, dispels all the fluff and the nonsense out of life and it makes us think what is really important in life and what really happens that moment I draw my last breath. What, what, what lies beyond this life? These are the questions that everyone thinks of. Well, the great thing about this book which I'm holding is that it, is, <clears throat> it gives... Christian real hope in life and in death. For centuries Christians learned the Christian faith through the Heidelberg Catechism of 1563. which seems to have gone out of circulation now in many ways but it was one of the three forms of unity, one of the three catechisms that, was always, that were always used in the reformed churches and it begins with this issue of life and death and the first question in the Heidelberg catechism is what is thy only comfort in life and death well that's a real question isn't it comfort meaning strength comforte with strength in latin What is your only strength and comfort in life and death? Well, the answer in the catechism is this. That I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Saviour, Jesus Christ. I wonder if you can say that today. That body and soul... You belong to your faithful saviour, Jesus Christ. The thing that we learn from the life of the Apostle Paul, in in Philippians particularly I think, is that the key to living well and the key to dying well is to have the Lord Jesus Christ as the very centre of your life. Belonging to my faithful saviour, Jesus Christ. That's the Christian mentality. That's the Christian mindset that we see displayed here in this book of Philippians. It's often said that the central um, subject of Philippians is joy. Well, I actually think the central theme of Philippians is Christ centeredness. Well, actually, that leads to joy, of course. But I think joy is the result of a Christ-centred mind, of a Christ-centred life. And that's why in verse 20 and 21, Paul could could face his present uh, problems and he could face the future with such confidence. According, verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed But that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now we must remember that Paul wasn't writing these things from a, um, you know, a a wood-panelled study, sat back in a nice leather chair with a a nice big desk, that's my... That's my idea of, a, of an office, but I might get one one day. But he wasn't speaking from that context. He wasn't in a Christian conference where every, every, it's easy to be a Christian, isn't it, in a, in a lovely Christian conference? Um, he wasn't at some kind of retreat, meditating all day. I'm not sure I like them anyway. but now, Paul was writing these things from prison. It's a little bit complicated to know, but he seemed to have a couple of years in a house house arrest situation. But he does seem to have ended up in prison. And and we know this from verse 13 of chapter 1 where it says, So that my bonds in Christ, my chains in other words, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. Paul was facing a possible, probable really, death sentence. From an earthly perspective, things weren't looking very certain at all. But there's not a hint of fear, is there? There's not a hint of foreboding. He considers whatever has happened to him, whatever is happening to him, And what will happen to him, he sees all of that through the prism, through the glasses, through the the spectacles, if you like, of Jesus Christ. Because Christ was the very centre of his life. He had a Christ-like mind. And he had Christ-centred eyesight. For Paul, life was all about Christ and death was all about Christ. Belonging to him, knowing him, serving him, loving him, was what life was all about here on earth. And and, and death would be a continuation of that and an increase of, of knowing Christ. Do you know, when you read things like, like this, we realise the prosperity gospel is is such a false doctrine, isn't it? You see, Paul could say these things these things in bonds, in chains. He didn't have prosperity as the gospel as those preachers say. He had what did he have? He had persecution, he had prison, he had privation, he had pain, and yet what drove him was a passion for Jesus Christ, because for him Christ was the very centre of his life. And when he finds himself in prison, he's not just an ordinary prisoner. He says, I am the prisoner of the Lord. He's Christ's prisoner. And this Christ-centeredness is seen in the way Paul continues to work for Christ, even in the most difficult of circumstances. Here he is. This great apostle. Used to preaching to great crowds. Travelling on the Roman roads. Planting churches. To eager and speaking to eager congregations. But now he's in chains. The Philippian church of course was probably wondering how he was. They were concerned about him. And he wrote Uh, to them in verse 12 he wrote to them to update them on his circumstances he says but i would ye should understand brethren that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel and then in verse 14 he, he writes to explain that what has happened to him has actually helped to spread the gospel verse 14 and many of the brethren in the lord waxing confident by my bonds I'm much more bold to speak the word without fear the things that have happened to me he says but we all, I'm sure we all know what happened to him he'd been warned by the Holy Spirit hadn't he that when he reached Jerusalem what was going to be awaiting him was prison and affliction well that came true almost straight away despite taking a Jewish purification vow and shaving his head, and he went out of his way not to cause trouble with the Jews. And yet they made a false accusation against him and he ended up um, in prison. Uh, he was nearly killed by a religious mob. He went through a mockery of justice. And he couldn't secure a hearing and they falsely detained him in prison. And yet his trouble was just beginning. Then there was that awful sea voyage he had to make from Jerusalem to Rome. And he nearly lost his life in that great storm. But at last he reached Rome. Something that he'd wanted to do. Um, In Acts 19 verse 21 it says, Paul purposed in spirit... When he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. But he never wanted to go in this way. That wasn't his plan, was it? He arrived in Rome not as the uh, triumphant apostle, but he arrived in a in a gang in a chain gang with manacles on his ankles and on his wrists, and he was there. Waiting to hear from a secular leader, from Caesar, whether he should live or whether he should die. Well that's real life, isn't it? It's real life for you and me, not not to that extreme, I expect. But things don't always turn out as we planned in our lives. Paul had great plans to, to even go so far as Spain and preach the gospel, but it never happened. And yet he says, what has happened to me has actually helped to spread the gospel. And that's something that you and I need just to, I just want to say to you this morning, that whatever circumstances our lives have ended up as, no matter how far we are from our original dream or plans, God can use you. God can use you where you are. Because it says in Romans 8.28. And I and I can testify this. As someone a bit older than most of you. All of you probably. All things. All things. Work together to, for good. To them that love God. To them who are called. According to his purpose. It's actually true. You don't really know it until after the event very often. It's when you look back on your life. not so easy to see it before the event but when you look back you see the thread of God's providential hands all things even when things are desperate and and everything's a disappointment even when your life's in seemingly in ruins God can use you and all things work together for his purpose and Paul in these circumstances, was determined to live for Christ, because Christ was the passion of his life. Here he is, in chains. and also he was chained to a Roman guard. Um, originally, he had some freedom. He could have visitors. For a while he lived in a private home, but there was always a guard chuckled to him, next to him. But for Paul, this was just one more lost soul that needed to hear the gospel. There would be a new soldier through every watch of the day and of the night. And just imagine, probably four different soldiers every day, every night. Maybe there's not always a new one, but... He would witness to this soldier and he'd witness to that soldier and he'd tell them about Jesus Christ and he'd say the same to the one who replaced that one and over the months and over the years he had reached most of the Praetorian Guard, the Imperial Guard who were responsible for him. He spoke to Christ even in prison. And his example in verse 14, it says, Many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And, and then just think of, <laughs> you know, all things work together. Just think of all the things, think of Ephesians, think of the book of, the letter to the Philippians. Um. The letter to the Colossians, the letter to Philemon, they were all written from this Roman prison. You may feel today constrained or even chained by the things in your life. I felt like that sometimes, you know, chained to to a desk at work. Or limited by ill health. Or caring responsibilities for children. Or caring responsibilities for for an elderly parent. I know all about that. Listen, whatever circumstances you're in today, live for Christ. Live for Christ like Paul lived for Christ. Because if we wait, as we... You know, it's so tempting to do we'll wait before we witness we'll wait before we get into the word we'll wait before we really get serious about uh, Christian things we'll wait until circumstances are a bit more uh, conducive we'll we'll wait for better circumstances and you know I'll I'll tell you something for free The the months and the years will roll by and you'll waste your life and you'll waste your life and the circumstances will never come Live for him now. Whatever you're in now. Live for Christ. Because that's where God has placed you. And never underestimate. Your impact as a Christian. On others. Others what were inspired by Paul. They they became bold. I don't want to embarrass Mr. Pastor, But. His example to me was that I began to share my faith far more than I, than I ever did. I waxed bolder because of him. You know, you, we can have a great effect on other people like the Apostle Paul. There may come a day for many of us when the only room that we ever see is a hospital room. There may come come a day for you and I when the only room we ever see is is a room in a hospice. There may come a day when the only room we ever see is a a prison cell. Well, that's quite likely the way things are going. And the only window that we ever look out of is a prison window, like Paul. But, you know, we'll be Christ-man and we'll be Christ-woman wherever we are. If Christ is the center of our lives. And this, of course, is so different for the unbeliever, isn't it? The unbeliever looking back on his past, the unbeliever looking back on his pains and troubles and afflictions and the circumstances of his life can so easily become bitter. Bitter towards others, bitter towards God. But what happens to the Christian? If Christ is the centre of our lives, we we, we not we don't become bitter, we become better in God, don't we? God makes us better than we were. He uses the sufferings of this life to make us better in him. And you know... I, if you're not a Christian you may be in awful circumstances but I can tell you from experience that Christ can turn a prison into a palace he can turn hell into heaven he can turn your life of misery into joy and it's only Christ can do that and then we see um, more up as more difficulties for Paul, do we, in verses 14 to 18. I'm going to spend a lot of time on these verses, but I'll just read them again. Verses 14 and 18. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds but the other of love knowing that I am set for the defence of the gospel what then notwithstanding every way whether in pretense or in truth Christ is preached and I therein do rejoice yea and will rejoice you see Paul because Christ was central to Paul's heart the causes of Christ Were central to his heart as well. And he saw everything. Through the prism of Christ. And the gospel. And the kingdom. And even when preachers. Now these are not false teachers. Because he would never have rejoiced in false teachers. But he's saying that. These ministers preachers. Who were preaching out of envy. Out of impure motives. He still rejoiced because the gospel was being preached well that, that's that's an amazing thing isn't it you see here he, here he is Paul in prison now and then these, these other preachers maybe they were, they were jealous of his um, influence and they see an opportunity well Paul's out, out of circulation now we'll, we'll fill the pulpits we'll, we'll get our names heard we'll fill the gap we'll say well if Paul was really anointed he wouldn't be in prison would he I don't know if they said that or made that up, but that may be one of the things they said. Impure and false and envious motives, but they were still preaching the gospel. And God can use people even when even when their motives aren't right. I emphasize, I don't believe they were false teachers. But they were adding affliction to Paul's bonds. And you think, how could that possibly happen? But you know, we, we've got to be careful, so careful. We, in, a, in, a, in a slightly different way, it happens in our day, doesn't it? Reformed Baptists sneering at Presbyterians and Presbyterians sneering at Reformed Baptists. And, and yet we, we all believe 99% of the same things it's only baptism we differ over and church government everything else we agree on and yet we, we fight and we sneer and it's not exactly the same thing but the thing is when, when we rightly combat error and false teaching let's be balanced where the true gospel is getting through let us rejoice in that as well I'm not saying we don't oppose error but the main thing is not our distinctives, particularly when they're not they're non-essential distinctives. The main thing is that the gospel is getting out into all the world. That the commission of Christ is taking place. And that's Paul's attitude. They're hurting me. They're, they're, they're trying to undermine me. And yet... I'm not going to become, I'm not going to dwell on that. I'm going to dwell on the fact that the gospel's getting out. That's a humble heart, isn't it? Christ was the center of Paul's life. And this gave him perspective on his past troubles and his present troubles. It helped him when even his friends wounded him. that's that's the worst kind of wound isn't it when somebody in your somebody of the household of God wounds you that's hard but if Christ is the centre of your life then that's all you need and then let's move on to verse 19 where Paul having considered how he got to where he was as he considered the difficulties he was in, he now turns to the future, doesn't he? He thinks now of the future. What, what time, with what time I have left, whether I live or die, whatever decision Caesar makes, this is going to be my attitude. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. You see, he has great confidence in the sovereignty of God, doesn't he, here? For I know that this shall turn to my salvation. He'd already said in verse 6 of chapter 1, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul believed in the sovereignty of God, not just as some kind of systematic theology. He knew it in his life. He believed it. And here again in verse 19, he says, I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of Jesus Christ. I don't think this word salvation here is talking about um, deliverance from prison. I think he was expecting to be freed from prison, um, which we can see a little bit later. But I think this salvation is referring to something much more. It's more in the sense of the word that we find in Romans 13.11. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed in other words these persecutions these oppositions these attempts to undermine me even the positive things that have come from my incarceration everything I've, I've, I've experienced and I'm experiencing is planned by God and is his doing of a good work in me which will be completed on the day of Jesus Christ. All things work together for good. I know that this shall turn to my salvation. That's a wonderful thing that isn't it? God's plan and God's work in you are not thrown off course because things you think things have gone wrong. Because... Circumstances go belly up in your life that does not mean that God's plan is being thrown off course if you're a po- even opposition from within the church unexpected and shocking all of these are part of God's sovereign plan and work in you which he promises he will complete and he will use all those afflictions sufferings circumstances to complete his work it's his sovereign loving work of sanctification in our lives Paul also had confidence that his fellow believers those who love him will pray for him constantly verse 19 again For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer. You see Paul was in a way, Paul was the, he was the super preacher wasn't he? He was the apostle of the apostles and he was used to looking after other people and many people relied on him no doubt. His human nature. And yet Paul was always, always conscious of his weakness. Of the fact that he was just a, just a, just a simple human being. And he often asked the, for the prayers of others to assist him in his ministry. And what does, he, what does he want them to pray? Well again verse 19. He wants them to pray for the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Well the spirit of Jesus Christ of course is the Holy Spirit. Paul uses the term the spirit of Jesus Christ sometimes because the Holy Spirit's presence within us and his gracious work for us have been purchased for us by Jesus Christ. That's why it is the spirit of Jesus Christ because he won the Holy Spirit for you and me on the cross. And the Holy Spirit is our supply to live this Christian life. The Holy Spirit is our resource to live this Christian life. And Paul says, pray that I'll know this supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Do you know, God, whatever we're facing today, whatever circumstances, God supplies, God sustains us, he sustains us above, from above through his providence and through his sovereign work in our lives and he sustains us within by giving us the Holy Spirit. And by this way we mature in the Christian life. And you and I have a responsibility to, to pray for each other especially in times of trial that we will know a supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ all of us in this church not only the elders of this church all of us have a responsibility not just for our own spiritual growth but for the spiritual growth in each other And we may not understand how this happens but when we pray for each other and when we pray specifically for the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ to be available to each one of us God uses that to help us grow in our Christian lives. And if we don't pray for each other there will be less spiritual growth in the church. And then lastly we see this christ centeredness in Paul, in his single-minded ambition to bring honour and glory to Christ, in verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death and then we'll say again verse 21 as well we'll read for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain he's confident that in nothing I shall be ashamed now I don't think that means he's going to avoid doing anything shameful I think it means more in the sense of not being ashamed Um in the sense that God will not, will never let him down. God will never disappoint him. We see the same phrase in 2 Timothy 1:12. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. In other words, he. Paul had confidence that God would never let him down. He would never disappoint him. He would never make him ashamed. God guarantees the deposit we have made with him. And it's from this belief in the goodness and sovereignty of God. That Paul has this boldness. That he speaks of here in verse 20. But that with all boldness as always. Do you know, this absolute belief that God will never let us down, that God will never fail us, is the antidote to a lack of assurance which so many Christians seem to suffer with. Do you know, if the, the way to be holy, to become holy, and I believe this is the apostolic method, is not to bash people over the head But to remind them who they are in Christ. This is who you are. And therefore live according to who you are. And Paul is so sure that God will never bring him to shame. That God will never disappoint him. That God will complete the work. That from that security he lives a holy life. He makes Christ the centre of his life. Because he knows God will never let it never lose his grip on his life. He'll never let him fall. And that's true of you and I today. God's got you in his hand. Whatever circumstance you're in, he's got you. And he will not disappoint you. He will, he will never let you be ashamed. And it's from this foundation. That he says, as always, so now Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Paul understood that God the Father, in his um, exaltation of the Son, will include, will include those for whom Christ died. In other words, if you're a Christian, God will magnify his Son in you, in your body, whether in life or in death. He will. This is what it says here, isn't it? Christ shall be magnified in my body. The Christian body is... um, is a vital thing. There's a kind of false Greek influence on some Christian uh, preaching which says you know the body doesn't really matter anymore it's the soul that matters. In fact the Jew the Jews never thought of the soul and the body as separate things anyway. The soul was the whole the whole man the whole person. But the body is is the body is a vital thing for Paul the Christian's body um, in 1 Corinthians 6.19 it says what know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you which ye have of God and ye are not your own verse 20 for ye are bought with a price therefore glorify God in your body and Paul teaches that in our, not only in our spirit but in our body Christ must be magnified to magnify is <clears throat> we think of a magnifying glass make something bigger but it's more than that to magnify in biblical terms is to is to show all, all the dimensions and all the angles of something's beauty and of something's greatness I remember as a child being given my, my first kaleidoscope and lying on my bed and turning the kaleidoscope and seeing all these amazing patterns and different types of beauty and you know your job and my job as Christians is to magnify Christ in this body and in this mind and in this spirit to show off the beauty of Christ in every dimension and every angle in every possible way we're to be displayers showers off of Christ through the way that we live And the way that we are. It's a high calling isn't it? Paul says. Whether I die or live. My job is to magnify Christ. To show him off to the world. And that means magnifying Christ in your eyes. The things that you look at. Magnifying Christ in our ears. The things that we listen to magnifying our hands, the things that we touch magnifying Christ through our feet the places that we go and the places we choose to avoid wow, the tongue magnifying Christ with our tongue the things that we say with our mind, the things that we think Paul says Christ shall be magnified in all of me In my spirit and my body. Paul beseeches the Christians. In Romans 12 verse 1. By the mercies of God that ye present your bodies. A living sacrifice. Holy. Acceptable unto God. Which is your reasonable service. Will I close with these thoughts. Our bodies must be yielded to Christ. Christ. They must be yielded to his service. And I wonder if they are. Has Christ God got got you and me? Is, is, Is it true for you as it was for Paul that to live is Christ and to die is gain? Has he got you? Have you given all of yourself to him? Have you said, Lord, I sacrifice my thoughts, my mind, my eyes, my tongue, my hands, my feet, my all to you Lord I pray that, that I with body and soul in life and death am not my own but belong to my faithful saviour Jesus Christ have you prayed that ever that's what being a Christian is I long to know him And to serve him more and more in my life. Being a Christian begins with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Not just with the ceremonies of the church, but with Christ himself. And this morning I pray that like the Apostle Paul, you will give your life away to him. You see, he could say... For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because he'd already died. He died, he di- he died to self, his reputation. He died to the world. And, and then physical death was was just a gain. Because he He would be in the immediate presence of Christ. It's only a loss to you if you're hanging on to this world, isn't it? If you've got investment in this world, death is a loss. But if you've already died to it, then to die is gain and you know if you're a Christian and you die as we all will you will awake I don't know if it's a second or a few seconds after your last breath and the first thing you'll see the first person you see is a being so glorious so beautiful so bright so pure so holy that you will fall before him And worship him. And you will know him. Because he's already in you. And you're already in him. And you will spend eternity gazing and gazing and worshipping Christ. For me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Amen. Feel free to contact us at Sovereign Grace Church in Tiverton. Email us at grace2seekers at gmail.com. That's grace2seekers at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can visit our website at www.sovereigngracereformedchurch.co.uk.